We are in Genesis chapter 13 this morning. Genesis 13, please turn there with me. We continue in this grand saga, this grand history of God's grace upon mankind, ultimately through Abram, who would become Abraham. Abram, whom God made a covenant with, and covenant promises of a land and a seed and a blessing. Covenant promises yet to be fully realized, and we look forward to that. The title of this morning's message, Abraham's Wealth. Abraham's Wealth. And let me just say at the outset, wealth has fallen on hard times. Not meaning that we're all losing wealth, which you are, which you are. As the dollar loses value, you're losing wealth. Now, if you own a home in the Portland area, you might be gaining wealth. You just have to see exactly where it's at. Home values are going up, but the dollar value is going down. So are you really gaining wealth? (laughs) Hard to tell. Do the math. But wealth has fallen on hard times in America and in the West as communism Communism has fallen on good times. Communism is out in the light of day and everyone's celebrating communism. Down with capitalism, up with communism. Down with the wealthy, um, up with the impoverished. And take from the wealthy and give to the impoverished. Steal from those who have to give to those who have not. And so wealth has fallen on hard times. And you know who? who's most vocal about this, either the wealthy who don't actually want people to come and take their wealth. And so they sing the tune of the communists somewhat. They sing the tune of the socialist uh, while hiding their wealth and protecting their wealth as best they can. They play along. And then those who are looking for power and looking for wealth themselves. Either the impoverished or those who have political aspirations of power and wealth through the system known as socialism or communism. And so wealth has fallen on hard times, meaning that if you have wealth, you are innately bad. And you should know that communism is no friend of wealth of the wealthy. Historically speaking, Uh, Communism takes wealth from those who have worked for it or inherited it uh, from those who worked for it before them. And the idea that you've worked for it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You're still evil if you have wealth. The idea that you've inherited it, now that's especially evil, right? You didn't even earn it. Uh, You didn't even have your hammer and sickle out in the field or down in that mine, breathing in those poisonous fumes. And so it should be taken from you. And you should probably be killed. That's the basic historic disposition and still the present disposition. Beware of communism. It is dangerous. The anti-wealth forces, the anti-capitalism forces, and I'm hearing anti-capitalism from capitalists, people who fundamentally and practically uh, are capitalist in all that they have done and all that they have built their wealth with, and yet now they're anti-capitalism capitalist while still behaving very much like a capitalist, but they talk like communists. So beware of the anti-wealth movement. The Word of God is not anti-wealth. It is anti-greed. It is anti-selfishness. It is not anti-wealth. And if it's anti-wealth, then we're going we're gonna to have to stand up and condemn Abraham today. And I'll tell you what, today's social mores, today's social values 
would compel our society to condemn Abraham for his wealth far more than it would for his issues regarding his wife being his half-sister and whatnot. And so Abraham's wealth, Genesis 13, verses 1 through 4. Let's read there together. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Four brief verses. We'll deal with the first two and then the second two subsequently. The first point, the pregnant point, Abraham's material wealth. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. So you remember that Abram and his wife and his servants went down from Canaan to Egypt because of the famine that was in the land. And we had said that it was not an act of rebellion against God, disobedience, uh, but rather an act of faith, trusting God, believing God, that God would provide through this means And yet we see his faith continue on as he's going back to the land of Canaan. While he left for a season, right, he knows that this is God's plan to give him Canaan, uh, to give him a land, a seed in that land, and to bless that nation, and that nation be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And so he's still on board with God's plan, and he shows that through his actions. He does not grow roots in Egypt, but rather goes back to the promised land. You've heard it called that. Perhaps you've called it that. The promised land. There's a lot of meaning in that. It is the promised land. God promised to Abram, to Isaac, to Jacob, and all of Israel. The land. And so he goes back to the land, even though he had to leave for a period of time. He goes back to the land. And when he goes back from Egypt, he goes back about 200 miles from the Egyptian border, but about 200 miles back into Canaan. And he and his wife and all that he had and Lot, his nephew, with him and all of Lot's family and and servants with him. And we'll cover that in the weeks ahead. Verse 2, Abram was very rich in livestock in silver and Gold, very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And for those with a capitalistic mindset, they they read that and there's no problem. For those with the currently fashionable, uh, ever-growing in popularity, communistic mindset, they think, well, that's not right. That's an inequity. There's an injustice there. Who gave Abram the right to have the livestock and the silver and the gold and not his servants? Who gave Abram the right to be the master over the servants and not the servant over the master? We need equity. We need equality. Everybody must be on the same level. And we will thus have enforced 
equity. So I will take from you and take from you and take from you and give to you and give to you and give to you and and have enforced equity. The only problem with that is the ones I took from may well have worked hard to earn that and now I've evened it all out. But guess what? Those rascally individuals are going to continue to work hard, save, invest, and prosper, and they've risen up again. And some of those that I gave to after taking it from I gave to, they have squandered it. They have wasted it. And now they have less than that which I formerly gave them when I made all things equal. So now I've got to take from you again to give to them again. And they keep squandering it. And so you cannot enforce equity, not truly, unless you're, unless you're going to continue to ruthlessly do it. You cannot have a great reset and make everyone equal for all time, because some will continue to squander the opportunity that they've been given, right? Because when you make all things equal, that will bring some up. But some of those who are brought up are are brought up, and yet they don't have the character to sustain it. They don't have the wherewithal, the will, the mindset, or the training to sustain it. Even should you give them the opportunities, they will not take them. They will not work and thus gain and add to the relative wealth you have given them. And then those who had the actual wealth that you took from to give to them, they are going to continue in the pattern that they've learned is successful for the good of their own families and even others, and just even for the glory of God, perhaps, right? To use the mind that God gave them, the strength that God gave them, to honor the Lord, to go to work and to do a hard day's labor for a fair wage and then to even use that to further gain wealth. And in a capitalistic mindset, that is good and right and just. And by the way, where does that capitalistic mindset come from? The Word of God. The Word of God. The idea of property rights and you shall not steal, that's from the Word of God. The idea of individual property that the government does not own, that society as a whole does not own, that's from the Word of God. But when you divorce yourself from the Word of God, which, by the way, communism, as a rule, is atheistic. It is atheistic. It is anti-Christ. It's an enemy of God, an enemy of the Bible, and thus an enemy of the truths of the Bible, like personal property and personal property rights, and you shall not steal. And it doesn't matter whether it's an individual stealing or a government stealing. There's a certain amount of taxation that is reasonable, right? For services, for infrastructure that benefit the whole, there's a certain amount. And then we get beyond that and we we get into the realm of socialism and communism. And then it just becomes straight up theft. And again, we're making all men equal. The only problem is all men aren't equal in the sense of equal character, equal intellect, equal strength, and they will not apply themselves equally. Praise God, Our founding document says all men are created equal, meaning we have equal value before God. It doesn't mean we are actually equal in the sense that we have equal intellect, equal ability, equal heart, equal passion, equal vision. And we can't enforce that. We can't make that kind of equity happen. We can't. It's impossible. But we have a a whole culture out there singing the tune of communism and the glories of equity. And the evils of inequity. And now, 
out of compassion, I can see that capitalism can be ruthless at times. If capitalism has harmed its thousands or even millions, communism has murdered its hundreds of millions upon hundreds of millions. And what you get with communism is equal suffering. You get equal injustice. You get equal hardship. That's what you get with communism. What you generally get with capitalism is equal opportunity. Opportunity. And in that founding document that mentions us being created equal by our Creator, it says something like this, that you might pursue happiness. Not be given it, but pursue it. It's up to you to use the intellect, the strength, and the character that God has given to pursue that happiness. But the government isn't supposed to give it to you. You pursue it. And when you achieve it, the government isn't supposed to steal it from you to give to someone else. And so Abraham's wealth is not evil, nor is anyone else's wealth necessarily evil. Do some people become wealthy through evil means? Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Lying, cheating, stealing, murdering. Absolutely. Some people become wealthy through evil means. And there should be checks and balances, laws to prevent that. Absolutely. But here we with communism, with the great equity reset that folks are trying to bring, there is equal suffering. And there will be wealth still. There will always be wealth. And those who will be wealthy will be those who are in power and they will subjugate the masses and use them horrifically to maintain their power and their wealth. Communism always deteriorates into some kind of tyranny. Some tyrant will rise up, whether he's a Stalin or a Mao. Some ruthless, self-serving tyrant will rise up. Communism doesn't work. Not economically, not practically, and not morally because of the spiritual reality that we are all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're, we're not basically good. Humanism is not true. And when you take away the opportunity, the opportunity to pursue happiness, to gain wealth, to retain wealth, to pass wealth on to generations behind you, when you take away that opportunity, you take away man's heart, his motive. And thus he just sits on down and waits for his next break. Of course, he never got back to work since his last break. (laughs) And so he produces little and the fields are not planted, and if they're planted, they're not harvested, and if they're harvested, their crops aren't stored properly, and on and on it goes. Whether it's farming or whether it's industry, communism doesn't work. Communism is a leech, a leech on the leg of capitalism, sucking the blood out of it. China is a great leech on America, Sucking the blood out of America. 
The worst thing China could do is raise up its army and go to war against us. It's winning right now, economically, as it buys up our land and buys up our universities and buys up the minds of our young people, paying their communist professors to teach their communist ideology to our children. Abraham's wealth. The idea of wealth being good and a blessing from God is biblical. The idea of wealth being innately evil is unbiblical and anti-God even. The anti-wealth folks are anti-God folks, and it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. Matthew Henry says this, Abram was not only rich in faith and good works and in the promises, but he was rich in cattle and silver and gold. God in his providence sometimes makes good men rich men and teaches them how to abound as well as how to suffer want. The riches of good men are the fruits of God's blessing. God has said to Abram, I will bless thee, and that blessing made him rich without sorrow. True piety will very well consist with great prosperity. Though it is hard for a rich man to get to heaven, yet it is not impossible. Abram was very rich and yet very religious. Nay, as piety is a friend to outward prosperity, so outward prosperity, if well managed, is an ornament to piety and furnishes an opportunity of doing so much the more good. Now, Matthew Henry wrote this about 400 years ago. That's a good commentary. When a commentary lasts the test of 400 years of time, that's a solid commentary. But what you'll find in historic commentaries up until recent, right, when we've got these communists coming out of our seminaries, up until recently, the biblical worldview prevailed in the writing of commentaries and in the preaching of sermons. Until the woke church was born, which means the church is dying, it's going to apostate, um, things like this were written, things like Matthew Henry just wrote, that in God's providence, God makes some men wealthy. Now, one man may work hard. One man may have a great intellect and use it well. One man may have heart and exercise that and yet not be wealthy in God's providence. But he's used all that he has, heart, mind, soul, and strength for the glory of God, and praise be to God. Praise be to God. And yet another man with a similar aptitude and ability and opportunities, the Lord will bestow great riches on. And praise be to God. And should the one resent the other? No, he should not. He should praise God for that. And there are fine examples throughout Christian history of wealthy Christians who love the Lord and were a blessing to missions, were a blessing to uh, church growth and church planting, who are a blessing to Bible printing and distribution, who are a blessing to gospel tract printing and thus distribution, who are a blessing to Christ's church, helping raise up actual biblical seminaries and colleges to train up God's people to serve God. And they use their wealth to that end. Praise God. And then they're just individuals 
who are relatively wealthy in Christ, who love the Lord, and use that wealth to bless individuals, whether it's in hardships in the local church, right? Or whether it's hardships in their extended family. They're able to use that wealth to be a blessing to friends in Christ, family in Christ, and to their immediate and extended families. And praise God for that wealth as a gift from God. Without wealth... You don't have money to fight disease. Without wealth, you don't have money to get that surgery. Without wealth, you don't have money for books. Many American Christians use their wealth to buy solid books. I remember there was a project a while back just to buy John MacArthur study Bibles because there's a wealth of information just in the footnotes of a John MacArthur study Bible to send that study Bible to thousands of pastors in Africa in their language, so they could have that tool instead of the TBN satellite up above them beaming down lies of the devil, they would have the Word of God and a solid commentary and footnotes and cross-references all in one book. What a wealth, what a treasure. And so praise God for wealth that is received by the providence of God through righteous means. And hold fast to that. Because as I said, wealth has fallen on hard times. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, again, that covenant that God made with Abram. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When God says in this covenant to Abram, I will bless you, we tend to think spiritually. And the spiritual matters are what matter most. And we think right when we think spiritually. Yet the Lord didn't mean just spiritually. He meant eternally and temporarily, spiritually, and practically, I will bless you, Abram. And that promise isn't for all Christians for all time as far as eternally and temporally, as far as spiritually and practically. Eternally, yes, every Christian will be blessed. Spiritually, yes, every Christian will be blessed. However, in God's providence, some will also be temporarily and practically blessed with some relative amount of wealth. And I say relative because wealth is relative. And I've pastored now well over 20 years, and I've seen over the years, it's funny, even in our, our little local church, and I'm not talking about anyone's here right now, over 20 years in the Portland area, people move, they come and go. There have been times where people of very little wealth judge people of, to them, greater wealth but the person they're judging of greater wealth is actually middle to lower middle class. They're not wealthy at all in the American sense. Um, However, the person of little wealth who's judging the middle class to lower middle class person for how they use their relative wealth, they actually are exceedingly wealthy compared to most of the world and incredibly irresponsible with their wealth, which is why they're in the position they're in and why eventually they blew off in the wind. They would not receive biblical pastoral counsel as far as some of the things that were going on that needed some loving counsel. But they were all about judging someone 
who had greater wealth than them because they enjoyed that wealth in ways that they couldn't enjoy because they didn't have it. Of course, they weren't working regularly and consistently. Uh, They weren't staying off drugs regularly and consistently. And that led to um, an inability to gain wealth, which put them in a prime position to judge others who had worked hard and done well and enjoyed some of the wealth that God had given them. Oh, that's another concept. The pastor said that the Bible says it's not sinful to be wealthy, but what if you enjoy your wealth? Oh, now that's sketchy. Enjoying wealth, surely that's sinful. And we're going to find out that it's not. Being wealthy is not sinful. Enjoying wealth is not sinful. Being greedy is sinful. Being selfish is sinful. Um, Not tithing, and we'll get to tithing in a full message later on because we're going to bump into that in Genesis as well. So this is not a tithing message. I had to hold back, truncate what we could preach in this message. We'll not give you the whole kitchen sink. As a concept, right, if we're not, as a basic concept, tithing, without going into the whole idea of tithing, well, we're not under a tithe and all that. If we're not tithing, if we're not giving to the work of the Lord, if we're not giving back to God who gave, um, then yeah, that's sinful. Uh, But having wealth and enjoying wealth is not sinful. Again, our current culture would suggest, not suggest, (laughs) would scream at you of the evils of your relative wealth. And I, I say relative. It's where you came from and where you are currently as to what is actually wealthy. Many people don't feel wealthy. I feel amazingly wealthy. Of course, I felt fabulously wealthy when I was much less wealthy than I am now. And uh, I'm pretty confident that with a biblical worldview, you'll pretty much always feel wealthy if you've got a place to lay your head and you've got food in your belly. With a biblical worldview, you'll pretty much always feel wealthy. We were pretty impoverished when I was in the Marine Corps, pretty impoverished. Yet most of the time, except when we actually truly ran out of money and had no money for food or gas, you know, there you kind of came up to stark reality. Hmm, this must not be wealth. (laughs) And yet still, we had first world problems. We didn't have gas for our car. Oh, so we are relatively wealthy. We have a car. Yeah, and we have insurance even. The car is insured, um, and we have health insurance. Uh, we are relatively wealthy, and we have an apartment with more than one bedroom. So we are relatively wealthy. It truly was exciting to live that way, responsibly, not blowing money, but working hard at a young age, being married with young children, and, and having limited wealth and learning to tithe in that learning to be responsible. What we did is cashed our checks, paid our rent, which was over half of our monthly income, paid our rent in a very cheap apartment over half our income, and then took the rest of the cash and put them in individual envelopes and budgeted it out very strictly. And if it was uh, Cheeseburger Tuesday at McDonald's, guess what? It was also Hamburger Tuesday. And the hamburgers were 20 cents and the cheeseburgers were 25. Guess what we got? hamburgers, hamburgers. And if we had a little extra that month, sometimes, or that week, we'd freeze some hamburgers in the freezer. That's how tight things were. And there are many Tuesdays we didn't have enough to even go for, you know, Cheeseburger Tuesday. 
And, and fries, now that was a total luxury because that's like a whole buck or something or 69 cents for a little thing of fries at that time. Um, so we were impoverished compared to our relative wealth now and yet at the time felt relatively wealthy. And what we found at the time, I'll borrow from the tithing message that'll come in weeks ahead when we get to Melchizedek and whatnot, what we found is that our 90% went a whole lot further than our 100%. When we exercised faith and, and committed ourselves to giving to the work of the Lord, um, our money would go much further. The, the, whatever it was, the car wouldn't break down, the tooth wouldn't need to be filled. Whatever it was wouldn't happen to further diminish uh, our monies and leave us wanting at the end of the month. Or, or God would just through, through unique means uh, compel someone somewhere to send a check for you know, Valentine's Day. Who sends checks for Valentine's Day? But there were unique times where our wealth had run out and a check would show up. Or we would find money that we had lost at some point. And when I say money, I mean $20. And when you're that tight, $20 is a fortune, right? That's $10 in gas. That's a few loaves of bread. That's a thing of peanut butter. That's a thing of honey. You can go a long ways on that. That's a whole lot of ramen, saints. And I've got some ramen recipes I can hook you up with. All that to say, learn to be wealthy where you're at and to be responsible where you're at and to be thankful for the relative wealth you have. And should the Lord bless you with more, thank Him for that, be responsible with that, honor Him with that, bless others with that, and keep living that way. And don't look across the aisle to the the person who has two cars, or maybe a truck, or or a boat, or a beach house. Um, Oh my, or they go on two vacations a year. Oh, that's not right. Um, Yeah, or they have a nice car. You know, they don't need to get, you know, from zero to whatever that fast. Why not drive a righteous Yugo? Surely there's some car made in Russia or China we could import, right? Out of the communist nation. Wealth is not evil. Enjoying wealth is not evil. God says, I will bless you. And he meant spiritually and practically. He meant eternally and temporally. And he did. He did bless him. Abram was made a wealthy man by God's providence. In Genesis chapter 24, verse 34 through 35, some years later, Abram's an old man. Uh, Abram sends his servant, and his servant goes to find a wife for Abram's son. And the servant says on this trip to Abram's relative, he says, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. And he has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. Flocks, herds, camels, donkeys, servants, silver, gold. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. And that's how we should see it. Unless there's a clear evil that achieved it, right? If, if you've gained your wealth as an abortion doctor... Oh, that, that's profoundly evil. That'd be a clear example. If you've gained your wealth as a drug dealer, <laughs> that's profoundly evil. Uh, but wealth in itself is not evil. This is a blessing from God, and, a, and the Lord just lavished it upon him. 
for his own purpose and his own glory. And I trust that Abraham used it righteously. 1 Samuel 2.7 says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. And I'll tell you what, one of the ways, in fact, if, if not the chief way the Lord has made people low, is communism. Communism is a judgment upon mankind. Communism. All things in common. Equity. Equal poverty. Equal suffering. No opportunity. Or very little opportunity. The opportunities in a communist realm go to the ruthless. They go to the corrupt. The Lord makes poor. The Lord makes rich. You know what the Lord has used to make the most rich? The most people rich. The, the least disparity between the poor and the rich. The largest middle class. You know what the Lord has used? Capitalism. And yet, our media is full of hatred of capitalism. Capitalism bad. Capitalism evil. They're lying to you. Why Why are men, women, and children fleeing from communist nations to America? When our press, our social media, our universities are crying out the horrors of inequity in America. People just can't get a break here. And yet, people of color from all over the world from communist nations and other suffering nations are fleeing to America. Why? Because there is opportunity here. Freedom to pursue happiness. And I tell you what, it's a beautiful thing. I love to see every tribe, tongue, and nation showing up here legally to pursue happiness with bright minds and strong backs pursuing happiness and gaining wealth they could never achieve in the nation they have fled from. No one's breaking into Venezuela. No one's breaking into China. No one's breaking into Russia. And no one except those who value their cigars are breaking into Cuba. Because there aren't opportunities there. You know what the opportunity in Cuba is? To watch uh, 1970s cars drive down the road. It's amazing. (laughs) The Lord makes poor, the Lord makes rich, and he has means. The biblical worldview produces capitalism. The anti-Bible, the anti-God, the anti-Christ worldview produces communism. Deuteronomy 8, verse 11 says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, pause, When he brought them out of Egypt, what did they come out with? Bounty. They plundered Egypt. 
After 10 plagues, the Egyptians so wanted them out of there and so wanted God's blessing that they gave them their wealth and they left with it. So they left with that wealth and God takes them to Canaan and He gives them this great land flowing with milk and honey after 40 years in the desert because of their sin. And verse 15 continues this warning. Who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which the fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Verse 17, And then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. The Lord's warning them that once they experience His blessings, their hearts will swell with pride and they will say, look what we have done. I call it the Nebuchadnezzar complex. Look at the kingdom I have created. Look at the life I have built. Look at the wealth I have accumulated. It's God's blessing. It's God's mercy. Oh no, it was my intellect. It was my ingenuity. It was my heart and my, my courageous spirit and business. It was my strong back. All those are gifts from God. Your strong back is a gift from God and quickly can become a broke back. Your fine mind is a gift from God and quickly can be befuddled. Your Courageous heart is a gift from God and quickly can become cowardly. All gifts from God and He deserves all the praise. Certainly with Israel being caught up out of Egypt, right? They did not free themselves. God freed them. They wanted to go back even after He freed them. Let's go back. You brought us out here to die, Moses. Okay, okay. We believe you. We'll follow you. Moses dies. They tell Joshua, we'll follow you just like we followed Moses. If I'm Joshua, I'm looking around going, oh, no, no, not like that. They get to Canaan. They send in the spies. Joshua and Caleb come back. Surely the Lord will give us this land. And the other spies say, there are giants in the land. We'll die. Forty years in the wilderness. And the Lord sees them through that. He gives them water from rocks, manna from heaven. They finally enter into Canaan and they're going to get proud. Look what we have done. After all of that grace upon grace upon grace, supernatural provision upon supernatural provision, what are they going to say? Look what we have done. No, look what God has done. Look what God has done. So the Lord warns us about pride in our wealth. And that's a quick way to lose your wealth and also a way to lose your soul. Psalms and Proverbs are full of incredibly valuable, insightful instruction about wealth. The world, just so you know, non-Christians go to Psalms and Proverbs to get wisdom on wealth. And they do so wisely. (laughs) It's God's wisdom. It's God's truth. And it's true whether you're Christian or not. I've seen non-Christians blessed by applying God's principles for wealth because they are true. I've seen Christians, genuine Christians, born again from above, ignore God's principles for wealth and suffer 
Because God's principles for wealth are true. And whether you're a non-believer or a believer, if you embrace them, you'll generally prosper. If you squander the wealth of wisdom on wealth, you'll generally suffer. So let's go there. Let's go there. Psalm 37, 22. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. On an eternal perspective, think of that. You're going to inherit the earth. On an eternal perspective, you're already wealthy. Borrow from that wealth daily. Borrow from your eternal wealth daily. Take out your eternal account and put it into your temporal account. Now, can you spend it? No, you can't spend it here, except in joy, in peace, in patience, in long-suffering, in enduring hardships when they come. You can take that wealth out of the eternal realm and bring it into the temporal realm in your heart, your mind, your soul, and have joy and gladness and peace. Because whether the stock market's up or down, or your crypto accounts are up and down, or your job is up and down, or your favor with the boss is up and down, or the weeds in your yard are up and down, (laughs) ultimately that doesn't change eternity, right? Where the streets are always gold. (laughs) And where God is always your father. And where all your tears will be wiped away eternally. One shot, right? No more tears in eternity. Where you'll abide in the love and provision of God forever. Where Jesus went to prepare a place for you. A place that is permanent. Where you're likened to a pillar in the kingdom of God. Immovable. And so borrow from that eternal wealth that is spoken of here in Psalm 37, 22. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth. You'll not just inherit um, the love of God, which is the chief glory. And forgiveness of God, mercy and kindness and grace. You will literally inherit the earth. Literally. There'll be a new heavens, a new earth in which only righteousness dwells. And I don't know what portion you have. I don't know what your acreage will be. I don't know. But it'll be more than sufficient. You will literally, as a child of God, inherit the earth. Permanent property rights. As a child of God. A citizen of the kingdom, but not just a citizen of the kingdom, the kingdom that that will never end. You will, as a child of God, inherit the earth. That That is glorious. That's an inheritance that cannot be taken away. By the way, that's an inheritance that if you pass on to your children, cannot be taken away from them. That's the most precious thing to pass on to your children. The eternal inheritance of the earth, which means they'll be in the new heavens and new earth, washed with the blood of the Lamb, by grace alone, through faith alone, forever and ever and ever. Psalm 39, verses 4 through 8. Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. 
Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. And so this is a biblical worldview. This is so precious, so valuable. This is base level truth for living. Lord, make me to know my end. Make me to live conscious of my end, conscious of my humanity, conscious of my frailty, conscious that I'm under the curse of death and it's coming for me. It's coming quickly, quickly. What is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? That's healthy for us. Indeed, you've made my days as handbreadths, and my age is nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is a vapor. It's just a vapor. It's gone. The sun comes out, gone. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. The shadow's there, it's gone. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. Beware of laboring excessively is the idea to heap up riches, of living to gain wealth. That's your life. That's your goal. That's all you're about. If that's what you're living for, you're short-sighted. In so much of the world, that is what they're living for. And it's so short-sighted. Eternity's coming. Store your wealth there. Store your wealth in eternity, in the kingdom that's to come, in the vault without end. When you labor excessively for wealth in this world to spend it on yourself and your own wants, you're short-sighted. You're not realistic. You don't know your end. You don't know your days. You don't know how frail you are. You don't know your days as hand breaths and, and that your state is a vapor and like a shadow and you're busying yourself in vain, heaping up riches and you don't know who's going to gather them. You're going to heap them up and somebody's going to gather them away. Some communist is going to take them. Or your kids are going to take them and squander them. Or those rascally grandkids. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to discourage you from laboring responsibly and handling the wealth that God and His providence gives you responsibly and passing it on to your children and grandchildren responsibly. That's all biblical. But when you set your goal on the wealth, that's not biblical. Set your goal on glorifying God with heart, mind, soul, and strength in the the labor, the field He has given you to labor in. And let God decide how wealthy you'll be in that. And you use whatever relative wealth He gives you for His glory and the blessing of others. And yes, even you can enjoy it. You can enjoy it. That's biblical as well. We'll get to that. But that's what the blessing is. That's what the blessing is. Verse 7, And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Be careful that your hope is in the Lord. Your hope is not in achieving financial freedom. To no longer have to work. Your hope is in the Lord. Your hope is in the Lord. You may well achieve financial freedom. You may well get to where you no longer have to work. Um, But your hope is in the Lord. That's your hope. God. Your hope is in the kingdom to come. Your hope is in that eternal inheritance. And that's where you want your hope to be clear before God for your own soul, but before your family as well, that they would learn to put their hope there as well, that they would learn to store their treasure there as well, that they would inherit the earth as well. That's the grandest investment, is it not? To labor all your life, to get earthly wealth, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. Even if all your descendants can hold on to it, Until it burned. In the end, it's all going to burn. But most likely, the next generation or two will squander it. (laughs) That's usually what happens with inherited wealth. 
because they didn't learn to work for it. Not always, not always, but so often. And so labor for the wealth that is eternal, which is God himself, a relationship with God, to walk with God, to know God. Seek the Lord, let him be your hope. Now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. Look to Psalm 62, 5 through 10. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Surely men of low degree are a vapor and men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed in the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. And and that would lend itself to that biblical worldview known as we're all created equal. The preamble of the Declaration of Independence. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed in the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. So in the truest sense, there are no nobles. They're just men. And we're all sinners before a holy God. Verse 10, do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. So don't use oppression to gain riches. That's called communism. Nor vainly hope in robbery, communism. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. If they increase, through you working to glorify God, through you applying your heart, mind, soul, strength, and back in your labors to glorify God, to be a blessing to your family and friends and neighbors and the advancement of the kingdom of the earth. If the Lord should bless you with riches, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Keep your heart on the Lord. Keep your hope in the Lord. That way, if the riches are gone again, guess what? Ah, ouch, you know. Oh, well, maybe they'll come again or not. I'm eternally wealthy. I'm going to inherit the earth. What do you got? We had a guy drive by. I think Steve was there. I don't know if you heard. You were kind of back. But they drove by last time we were up here in the corner. They said, what's in your bank account? How much money do you have? It was so strange. (laughs) We're there lifting up the gospel of Jesus Christ. How much money do you have? This young guy who clearly... His God is his money. That's everything to him because his God is himself. But my guess is whatever he's got right now will quickly be squandered (laughs) or lost. And even if it's not, at the end of his precious life, it will be. It'll all be gone. His, His cold, dead hands will let loose of it. They will let loose of it. And by the way, with that kind of an attitude, if you dare have children, you're going to raise up some greedy children. And you better have a food taster. Your time's short. All right, let's move to Proverbs. We're running out of time. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. So if, if you gain riches through righteous means, it's God's blessing. And there's no sorrow with that. It's not evil. Therefore, there's no curse upon it. No death upon it. There's no sorrow. 
Proverbs 13, verse 7, there is one who makes himself rich yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. So they sinfully make themselves rich, and yet they have nothing. And then one who makes himself poor, he's given his life for the Lord. He's not concerned about his riches at all. He's all in for Jesus. Um, and the Lord hasn't seen fit to bestow providential blessings financially upon him, but he is eternally wealthy. He's storing it all up in that eternal vault where thief cannot break in and steal. Proverbs 22, 1 through 4. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver or gold. Verse uh, 2. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Does that sound like the Lord wants us to go out and enforce equity? No, it doesn't. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. By humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. That's a great verse to teach children. We don't often think about teaching children economics biblically. But that's a great truth to teach children By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life, should God providentially will it. This is the path to providential earthly blessings if God should will it. It's also the path to the greater eternal blessings. And that is certain. That is certain. Proverbs 23, verses 4 through 5. Do not overwork to be rich. This is important. Husbands, don't neglect your wives. Fathers, don't neglect your children. Don't overwork to become rich. However, there are seasons where we must labor much. And when we're young, especially, generally speaking, it's a season where there's going to be sweat of the brow, where there's going to be late nights and early mornings. And it's worth it. You don't achieve much without much labor. So there are seasons of life, seasons of the year, seasons of the month where there's going to be much labor. Right now, you dear mothers, you're laboring much with these young children. (laughs) And it's laborious. It will get easier, I promise you, if you do a good job now. You work hard now, it will get easier later. It'll actually be a blessing to you. And should you have future children, a blessing to them. And for your grandchildren, it'll be a great blessing. (laughs) And it'll make your grandchildren a blessing to you and to mankind. And so, while we don't want to self-destruct through overworking and thus not loving our wives as Christ loved the church, not loving our children, raising them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, neglecting, neglecting the worship of the Lord, are, are you overworking? Hmm. Are you missing church? I know professing Christian men, they just can't get themselves into church because there's a little more money to be made. Terrible, terrible investment of your life to get a little more money on the Lord's day when the God's saints are gathering to worship. And what are you teaching your kids? What are you teaching your kids? You're teaching them that this world and the treasure therein is more important than the eternal world and the treasure of God therein. And that's a nightmarish lesson to teach your children with eternal consequences. So sad. I've seen men that struggle with it. They get a foot in Christ and they still got that foot in greed. And for time, they're showing up on Sunday and then the greed wins out and they're just gone. They're just gone. 
but they still will call themselves Christians. They'll still show up as Christers, Christmas, Easter, right? Christers, Christmas and Easter. And maybe they'll, they'll drop a, you know, check in or whatever, but that's not Christian living and that's not teaching Christian living and that's not living by faith, glorifying the Lord and storing your treasure in the kingdom to come. Do not overwork to be rich. Proverbs 23, 4, because of your own understanding, cease, it says, exclamation point, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. Poof. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Has anyone ever experienced that? Anyone ever experienced riches? Poof. Fly away. Yeah. That car, it was so nice and crash. Fly away. <laughs> the first time we had a little money in a bank account, first time there was a toothache in our home and the money flew away. So many times, so many times. Oh, praise God. So don't set your heart on that. Don't, don't overwork to become rich. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches will certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Proverbs 24, 3. Through wisdom a house is built. Through wisdom a house is built. And by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I've request of you. This is author praying to God, two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die, remove falsehood and lies far from me, give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. That's a great prayer. It's a good disposition. Lord, whatever you do, keep me faithful. I mean, that's a very healthy prayer. May God bless that in your life and in mine. Now, I've said that it's not sinful to enjoy the wealth. I want to establish that as a final point in this message. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 18 through 19. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 18 and 19. It says, Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. Don't let the anti-wealthers, don't let the communist spirit of our age steal away your joy in the relative wealth that God has given you and the ice cream it allows you to buy. Enjoy your ice cream guilt-free and then go on a walk. As long as you're not overworking to become rich, as long as your hope is in the Lord, as long as your eyes are set on the King and His kingdom, as long as you're committed to advancing the kingdom of the earth, as long as you're giving to the Lord what we call a tithe, we'll get into the details of that in weeks ahead, it's guilt-free. Enjoying God's blessings should be guilt-free free. So don't guilt others who have no guilt before God and don't feel guilt before God for enjoying his blessings upon you. Your father has lavished gifts upon you. 
How should you receive them as a child? Oh, no, no, Dad, no, I can't. I know it's my birthday and all, but I'm unworthy to be celebrated. That's nonsense. And there are people, hyper-religious people, who won't celebrate the birthdays of their children because that would feed their pride. That's nonsense. Our Heavenly Father gives us gifts, and He wants us to enjoy them. Can we as earthly fathers not give gifts to the children that we love and want them to enjoy them? Yes. Now, if they're acting spoiled, take them all away and burn them or give them away to the neighbor kid because your Heavenly Father will do that for you. (laughs) So you as an earthly father should do the same. And if I had a spoiled child squandering all his resources, not or her, and not working and so forth and being responsible, would I, would I leave an inheritance for that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. In fact, I don't plan to leave an inheritance for any child who's not honoring Christ. Why would I give God's wealth to a child who's going to use it for the devil? I won't. I won't. And, and I tried to make that clear to my children. There's a couple here now. It's clear again. It's all for God. It's all for His glory. I, I remember years ago, I went to this gathering. This dear woman, didn't really know her, but Christian woman, she was hospitable, big heart, and invited like all the young Bible college students to her home for this feast. And it was great and sweet time and wonderful property. And she was elderly and, and she, you know, was thinking about her death and whatnot. And I met her son that night. He was outside and he was drinking beer out by the garage with some friend uh, who was not a good friend, cursing and whatnot. And I, I took an interest in his soul and was talking to him. And he was waiting for his mom to die so he could inherit all this. And he was squandering his life. And I thought, how sad that this man is going to inherit this Christian woman's wealth and use it for his own sinful passions and probably squander it, probably squander it. Be no blessing to Christ or Christ church or advance the kingdom. How sad, how sad. And so Ecclesiastes 5, 18 and 19, you say, well, that's the Old Testament pastor, the New Testament would be clear. In the New Testament, you can't enjoy wealth, really. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19, last passage and we'll be done. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. In the New Testament, it says command. It says to pastors, Pastor Timothy, which would include every other pastor, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. You're Americans. You're rich. Don't be haughty. There you go. I, I obeyed the Lord. command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy God our Father gives us our riches to enjoy it's not sinful to enjoy them it's actually God honoring to enjoy them unless you're enjoying them to the detriment of others around you who you should be loving with action and truth uh, unless you enjoy them to the detriment of the advancement of the kingdom that you should be part of. This is your kingdom. (laughs) And that kingdom's eternal. So when you invest in the kingdom, you're you're investing in the eternal kingdom and the eternal family of God and you're storing up your treasures in the vault that thief cannot steal from. So again, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, And that's where most pastors really drill down on, um, especially in this woke, communistic church era. Nor to trust in uncertain riches, okay, that's still acceptable, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That's what's fallen on hard times in our anti-wealth era. 
who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Verse 18, let them do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. This is 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. And it is vital instruction on Christian economics, on Christian wealth and how to handle it, how to enjoy it, and yet do good with it. To be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves, storing up, right? Investing in a good foundation for the time to come. Good foundation, a good plot in the earth that you're going to inherit. (laughs) I'm not talking about actual square footage. You'll have more square footage. Come on, be wise. It's not what I'm saying. However, you are literally storing up for yourself a good foundation for the time to come that you may lay hold on eternal life. And so, there's much more to say on wealth from Scripture. We'll get into more of it in the weeks ahead when we get to tithing and Melchizedek and whatnot. But God's Word is rich and practical in its instruction on how we should handle our riches, the riches God has given us as we labor with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength to honor Him in the field of labor which He has providentially given us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the clarity. Thank You for the power. Lord, protect us from the lies of the devil and communism. Protect us from ruthless capitalism. And Lord, may we walk in the light of Your Word in biblical capitalism, laboring to honor you and laboring, Lord, to be a blessing to our fellow man, enjoying our Father's gifts and lavishing some of them on others that they may enjoy them too. We commit it all to you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.